everybody have a sheet of paper? Raise your hand if you didn't get a handout. Brent, you didn't get one? Would you find one and bring it to me as well? Thank you. All right, we're going to be in the book of Hosea, and I, I know you're not supposed to pass stuff out and tell people don't look at it until we get to it. Uh, that's like uh, taking a kid into a candy store and telling him that he can't have any. Uh, so look at it. When you're finished, raise your hand, and then we'll get started. you all. All right, so we're in the book of Hosea, and it is uh, one of the 12 books, or the 12 uh, minor prophets. Uh, they're not minor because they're not important. They're just called the minor prophets because they're short. Um, so each of them is pretty significant, and tonight we're going to do Hosea. And what I want to do is I want to give the background. Uh, I, is, this, is this reverberating back out there, or is it just in my ears? What, what does this mean? Does this mean it's good? It's good, okay. All right. So I want to go back through, sort of put, put a context around where these guys show up. And uh, so specifically Hosea tonight. We'll come to the chart here in just a second. But let me just go ahead and verbally give you the, the lead up to where we are in history. Um, it really helps reading these prophets if you know the, the historical, uh, chronological context uh, that, that, they're, that they're speaking into. So I'm going to try to get us there and then jump into the book. So let's just start in the beginning. God creates the heavens and the earth. But then the nation of Israel that we're dealing with right now, uh, the book of Hosea is Hosea prophesying uh, to a group of people who were the descendants of a guy named Abraham. Um, Abraham had been promised by God uh, several hundred years earlier that his children would grow into a nation. Indeed, they did grow into a nation, and after some time, they decided that they wanted to have a king. So you have creation, you have the flood, and then you have God calling this guy Abraham and telling him, I'm going to bless the whole earth. i got a plan to touch everywhere in the world, and I'm going to do it through you, and I'm going to make a great nation out of you, and you're going to bless the rest of the world. So we know the process by which that family became a nation. We know the process by which they found the land and took the land. And I'm pretty sure because of the history we've done, everybody knows that eventually they desired a king, and uh, Saul became the first king. There was Saul, then there was David, then there was Solomon. What happened after Solomon? The kingdom split between Jeroboam and Rehoboam. And so what you have in the book of 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 uh, Chronicles, and 2 Chronicles is this history of the two parts of God's people. The southern, one, the southern uh, nation is called... And the northern is called Judah, is, is called Judah because of it's just one tribe and another smaller tribe, Benjamin, and so it's called Judah. Uh, Israel sometimes, though, is called something else, and Hosea does it uh, several times in the book. Does anybody know the other name that they use for the northern tribes or Israel? 
Ephraim. Okay, Samaria is later, uh, but they called it Ephraim because one of the largest tribes was Ephraim in the north. So you've got the north and the south. Hosea is going to speak into to this this situation, and so Hosea is is one of the earlier minor prophets. He's prophesying at the same time as Isaiah. So um, I'm just going to read this. We're going to take a look at the life of the history surrounding the, the kings that are, that are in power while Hosea is prophesying, okay? It's the last seven kings of Israel, okay? We know, everybody knows that as the nation progressed, basically in about 722, the northern tribes finally fell apart and went into captivity. And they never returned as a nation. They came back and they were, somebody mentioned Samaria, but they didn't really come back as a whole nation under their own government. And that was in 722. And so we're going to be looking at a period of time that leads right up to 722. And, and we'll look at the last seven kings. Hosea is prophesying during the time of the last seven kings of Israel or Ephraim. The last seven kings of Israel were a mess. I wrote that. Uh, that's very definitive. This is what they were. They were a mess. All of the kings of Israel were considered evil except Jehu. Jehu was two, uh, the ninth king before the fall. Uh, he was considered partially good, but every other king is considered evil. Um, he was mixed. Uh, he is the one who actually, I believe, uh, killed Jezebel, or at least had Jezebel thrown off the wall. All right, so with Jeroboam, which is the seventh to the last, the, Hose the Hosea's prophecies began. Um, and this is the final descent into what, what could be compared uh, to a woman who has decided to leave her life behind and to begin to sell her life into prostitution and to burn out and to be known no more. And so there's two things that were prominent during this time. Okay, you with me? Creation, fall, flood, Abraham, nation, kings, northern tribe, southern tribe, and now the northern tribe has devolved, and in these last few kings, we're going to see God crying out to them through Amos over about 60 years. And that's what's in the heart of Amos, uh, uh, Hosea, as, as he's crying out uh, to this northern nation. He also speaks some to the south, but it's comforting words to the south because they'll continue for another 150 years or so. All right? So the, the, the primary things that have gone on uh, during these 60 years is going to be that they have uh, synchronized, syncretized their religion. They have continued to worship God, but they've also added on the worship of other Baals, other gods. The second thing is that they have no longer taken care of the needy. That's mentioned. And the third thing is that when they get in trouble, rather than trusting in God, they bring the curse of Jeremiah on them that says, trusted 
uh, cursed is the man who trusts in the arm of the flesh. And so they bring a curse on themselves because first they trust in Assyria, and then after that, they make league with Egypt. And so this is the situation that, that has got uh, God in the place that he needs a prophet to speak to them and let them know how he feels. They're trusting in other gods. They're trusting in other kings. And in all of this, with what wealth they do have, and they do have quite a bit of wealth during this time, they don't take care of the needy. So God finds, um, God finds Hosea, and he gives him a very interesting task. Let me read you a few lines from, it's probably 2 Kings 14, 15, 16. You can go there and you can read. If you look at this sheet that I gave you, what I have listed is on the left side are the kings of Judah. And next you'll find the scripture that talks about those kings. But as you pass the middle of your page, going over to the right, you'll see the kings of Israel. And these are the kings, down pretty much the middle of the page, that were in power when Hosea was prophesying. And if you'll, I'm sorry, I keep saying, uh, sometimes I'm saying Amos, if I do, I mean Hosea, okay? And uh, so you can see it's from about 782, should be down to about 722. These are the years that these uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven kings are, are ruling. And then if you look at the bottom, if you're looking at the paper at the bottom right, it tells you that this is where those northern tribes finally go into captivity. So you got the context? You understand where we are? Do you have any questions? Is anybody confused about where we are? Uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's very helpful to know the context and to know what he's prophesying into. You've got the, this, this intrigue, kind of like if, if, if we talked about President Kennedy and then we talked about President Nixon and then we talked about uh, Ronald Reagan and then we talked about uh, Bill Clinton and then talked about the Bushes and there was some news commentator, Walter Conkright, who, who was still alive. And through that whole time, he was giving commentary into it, right? And so you got to get your mindset that Amos is, is the, he's the spokesman for God, and he's speaking into the current events that continue all the way through. And so if you think very much about our culture and what's been going on since the 60s when we had sort of this revolution of rebellion and sexual promiscuity and, and sort of a, a, a turn in the way we even view the president, uh, Vietnam, Nixon, that sort of, that sort of sullied uh, uh, the swamp. And so somebody speaking into this all the way through. So it, 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 it's, a, it's a parallel. The situation is different, though. It's not about America and the American dream. It's about God and the relationship with God that he's speaking into. So let me read you a few lines from that portion of Scripture, uh, 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 2 Kings 14, 15, and 16. I'll just, I'll just read these lines to you so you get a feel. Um, this is Azariah, uh, uh, Jeroboam. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. 
then there's Shalem, um, and um, oh, he reigned a full month because Menahem, the next king, killed him. And then he went into a city that wouldn't open the doors, and all the women therein that were with child, he ripped up, which means he, he cut the children out of their bellies. Um, and Pul, the king of Assyria, came against Menahem. But here Menahem makes a, a deal and becomes vassal to Assyria. Let's keep going. Uh, uh, chapter 15. This is Azariah. Let's see. In the 50th year of Azariah, king of Judah, Pekahiah, the son of Menahem, began to reign over Israel and Samaria and reigned two years. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. But Pekah, the son of Ramalia, a captain of his, conspired against him and smote him in Samaria in the palace of the king's house with about 50 men. And he killed him. And so, Shalemanser, king of Assyria, came up against him, and Hoshea, his servant, uh, gave him presents. And the king of Assyria found conspiracy in Hoshea, for he had sent messengers to sow king of Egypt. So here, this last king, he's the one who makes this, this deal with Egypt to protect him from Assyria. So basically, they do that which is evil in the sight of the Lord. Uh, they go in and they kill and they, they, they ravage and they continue to... Uh, when it says that they continued in the sins of Jehoshaphat, it means that they continue to worship the Baals. <laughs> it's kind of it's like listening to the news today. It, 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 it wasn't good. All right. So next, let's go ahead and let me, um, let me just read this verse. Hosea 4.6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you, that you shall be no priest to me. Seeing that you have forgotten the law of God, I will also forget your children. That's Hosea 4.6. Okay. To say that you have no knowledge of God is not to say that you don't know where Israel is, you don't know where Jerusalem is, you don't know about the temple, or, or that you don't know the Ten Commandments. What it means is that you don't have intimate relationship with Him. You don't have this active, ongoing knowledge of him in the presence where you're walking together. Remember it says that Adam knew his wife. The word know is a relational term. And so God says, you guys, even though you know what the Bible says, you do not have relationship with me. You're continuing to walk in my blessings. You're continuing in my land. But you don't know me. And because you don't know me, that is why you are being destroyed. And so that's kind of one of the themes all the way through the book is, is that we need to know God. So here's the outline of the book. Let me give you that. 
Uh, first of all, chapter 1 through 3. All right, we got context. Now let's do a quick outline, very quick outline. Chapter 1 through 3. This is the story. This is the story of Hosea and uh, what God calls him to do and how Hosea lives his life. But then in chapter 4, all the way up until the end, really chapter 13, we get these little prophecies that the words of the Lord that come over the 60 years, okay? Don't forget, this book takes place over 60 years. So what we're going to see are cameos. It would be like going back and, and every year back into Kennedy, pulling one newscast and seeing what's going on. And so we're, we're getting a view into the situation. But, but you're going to find out that a big part of what these little cameos are, it's really seeing God's heart and see how God feels about all this. See, God is not just wanting obedience, but he's wanting an obedience based in relationship. All right. So uh, 4 through 11, 4 through 11, sort of a sub uh, group, uh, it talks about just them not knowing God. It's talking about them breaking commandments, walking in injustice, and still going to the temple while not caring for the needy. And then 12 and 13, another sort of subset of, of, these, of these cameos, it goes back into the history of Israel, okay? And so God is appealing to them and saying, look, you've always been like this. Jacob was a supplanter, number one. Number two, in the wilderness, you really didn't understand what was going on with me and you. And then also, you chose a, a king, and that king was really uh, full of pride and you wanted to be like the other nations. And so he's just sharing his heart with them about, about how they've always been kind of rebellious kids. But in the end, chapter 14, it resolves. And I'll read uh, verse uh, 3 and 4. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses. And we will say no more our God to the work of our hands. In you the orphan finds mercy. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. And so in the end, they're going to realize Assyria can't save us. It's not about horses. We're not going to say to the works of our hands, you're the ones who take care of the orphans. But we're going to return back to relationship with God. And God's anger is going to turn from them. All right? So, we've got the context, 782 to 722, when you've got these last kings that are ruling and doing evil in the sight of the Lord. We have the outline. We're going to get the story. Uh, then we're going to get some cameos of how God feels. And then, in the end, we're going to see the resolve in God's love. All right? So, let me, let me go ahead and do the story. Let's pray. And I'm going to jump, jump into this story. Father, as, as we consider um, what you wanted to do through Hosea, Lord, I want to ask that you would do it in us tonight, that we would see your heart in the midst of history. 
uh, not a God far off with rules to keep, but a, a real Father who walks with us. Uh, and help us relate to who you tr- truly are and, uh, and understand uh, your mercy and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> so here God is. He's just being ravaged. Uh, by the people that he redeemed, the ones that he says that he, he led through the wilderness, the ones that he says he made a great nation out of. Here you are, you come to my house, you sit there, you give your offerings, yet you go back out and you're really not trusting in me. You just got a Sunday religion. You're not walking with me. And I'd like you to know how I feel about it. And so as God often did with prophets, he, he found a guy and he said, listen, Hosea, I need, I need for Israel to understand what they're doing to me. And you're the guy. And so I've got a plan so that Israel can understand my position. Israel can understand how I feel. And so the word of the Lord... Verse 1, that came unto Hosea, the son of Beri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. And in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, you notice that he only gives one uh, king of, of Israel. Um, he doesn't give those other kings. I don't know exactly why. He just mentions the first one but he prophesies all the way through the rest of them. We know because they parallel the kings in um, Judah. The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. Can you imagine God shows up and you begin to feel tingling and you realize, whoa, I'm going to become a prophet. I'm going to become the man of God. And the Lord said to Hosea, Go and take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms. <clears throat> Wait a minute. I, th- I, thought I, was, I thought I was getting a prophetic calling here. I want you to go marry a whore. This is the word of the Lord? I remember the first time I read this book. I was, I was a teenager. And, you know, my, my view of men of God were that they were holy, set apart, uh, chaste, and all that. And, and I, had to, I had to read it three or four times before I could, even, I could even accept God was going to have this man go and find a woman who had been selling her body on the street. In the threshing floors where they usually did it. Blew my mind. For the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. Hosea, buddy, let me tell you how I'm feeling. No. No, I'm going to show you how I'm feeling. Go marry a prostitute and see what she does. 
Go marry a prostitute and see what she does and see how that makes you feel. And it becomes a picture for all time of how God feels when his children put their trust in anything other than him. So, so, so powerful. Uh, how many of you all would like to have been Hosea? You'd have a book named after you. You'd be known through all eternity. You'd know God intimately. One of the things that, that we have to, to understand if, if we're really going to relate to this story is that the culture, cultures live by different sort of uh, overarching paradigms. Uh, there's the, the power uh, ruler servant paradigm. You're either a leader or you're, you're a servant. That's one paradigm. Uh, another paradigm is uh, uh, either, either you're wealthy or you're poor. You're, you're by class. It's, it's, it's called an economic class. But this culture, what was important was either you were part of the honored society or you were the outcast who lived in shame. And so obviously a prostitute would be someone who lived in shame. And so to marry someone who lived in shame was to bring shame upon yourself. And so imagine if your son came home. I have an uncle, Uncle Sterl, who woke up one morning and rolled over and, and looked this lady in the eye and said, who are you? And she looked back at him and she said, well, I'm your wife. We got married last night. Uh, he was quite the character, but, but he'd gone out and had some fling and got drunk and got married. Can you imagine him bringing that woman home to my grandmother, who was a holy woman of God? How ashamed would my grandmother feel uh, of that? And, and, and how, if, if, if Sterl would have gone home to, to Dayton, Tennessee, and gone to church uh, in, in the little church of God where Grandma went and, and, and brought this floozy in that everybody knew was just uh, sleeping around all the time. It, it would have just been great shame. And I think we have to understand that God suffers shame. God suffers shame when we as his people and hurt when we as his people love another man, trust in another country, uh, trust in our own riches. Uh, Jesus, he, he died the death of uh, a, a convict. He died on a cross. It says... We despised him, considered him to be stricken. Despise, if you look it up, is the opposite of honor. Jesus partook in dishonor, being dishonored. But now, in all of this, you've got to remember that it's, it's, it's reflecting who God is. Hosea did not marry a woman and she became a prostitute. He knew what he was doing before he got into it. That's the good thing about it. God knows what he's getting into before he marries us. It's not like I chose a bunch of great people and now look what you've done. 
I knew who you were. I knew how this was going to go. And so he calls them. And, 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 he, and, he, and, and the, the, the next thing says, uh, verse 3, So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, which conceived and bare him a son. And the Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel. Now, we don't have time to go back into the history of all of this, but Jezreel is a place, it's, it's a battlefield, and it's a place where not only had Jehu uh, had those uh, eunuchs throw Jezebel off the wall, but he also went and destroyed all of the family of King Ahaz, and he went overboard. Uh, so, so God says, I am going to return the blood of Jezreel uh, on the children of Israel. In other words, I'm going to destroy them. I'm going to take them to a battlefield and they're going to be defeated. And I want you to name this first son Jezreel. God scatters. God scatters. And so now, all right, I don't know when this is. It's probably when Jeroboam is king. But now, this kid's going to be 30 years old. 40 years old, and everywhere he goes, his name's going to say, God's going to scatter us. And so now he's got prophetic voice through his kids. God's going to scatter us. Then she conceived again, verse 6, and bare a daughter. And God said unto him, Call her name Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel but I will utterly take them away. And so now he's got this little child walking around. Hey, no mercy. And every time he calls that child, every time she goes in the street and people call her her name, they are calling out, no mercy, no mercy. It's a prophetic word. Guys, why are we living this way? God's going to bring an army to judge us. We're moving away from the mercy of God. Yet for Hosea, it's his wife and it's kids. And it's not just this joyous preaching moment, but it's I'm living with a woman who's going to go back out into adultery. My kids, their names speak judgment on the nation. And she conceived again and bare that daughter. But in the midst of it, look at this uh, verse 7. But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah. I think that it's important for you to realize that in the midst of this, Hosea, I, I'm going to have you prophesy. And it's going to reveal to them and you're going to understand. And it's going to be an impartation to their soul of, of, of where I am in this. But you need to know, I'm looking at your sister Judah. And I'm not going to destroy her because she hasn't gone overboard. There's still hope for her. I'm not just mad and, 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 and raging and, and just meeting out judgment because I'm mad. I'm doing something here. Verse 8 and 9. Now when she had weaned lo ruamah, that is, no mercy, she conceived and bore a son, then said, God... Then said God, call his name Loami, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. You are not my people, and I will not be your God. 
So this is what I want your ministry to be. <laughs> I want you to bring shame upon yourself by taking a woman from the street. I want you to, through the early years of your marriage, to have children that are foreboding. And then somewhere along the way, your wife is going to leave you again. This is my life. This is what I've lived. I called Israel, and the very first thing they did while Moses was up on the mountain was to build a, a, a little golden calf and worship that and have this orgy around it. From the very beginning, I knew what I was getting into. And this is what I've been dealing with all along. And then it gets down to the end. And let's read chapter 3, how, how the story is going to end. And the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. The children he's just described. <laughs> I want you to go find that adulterous woman and I want you to love her. Not only so they can know my shame, not only so they can see how I feel, but so that they can understand my love never ends. Go and find that woman and love her. Even though they turn to other gods and they love their cakes of raisins. Now, I will point that out and I will encourage you to be careful about those cakes of raisins. Go thou and see what that meaneth. <laughs> that was supposed to be funny. So I brought her, I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley, which means not very much. So basically, at the end of the whole thing, she's gone out, she's played the prostitute, and she gets sold as a slave, no longer desirable for anything else and he got her really cheap and I said to her you must dwell as mine for many days you shall not play the whore or belong to another man so I will also be to you for the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince without sacrifice or pillar without ephod or household gods afterward the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God, and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the end, in the latter days. Wow. It's, it's a powerful story. Um, we could stop and spend all night on those three chapters. But I want to look into... Okay, so that's the story, and this is what he lives for 60 years, okay? So you got to remember, while he's in his office writing this thing, these different prophecies, he's, the, these next few pages are going to be him speaking how God feels, but at the same time, he's going through it. It's going to be so powerfully written because the emotion that God has... He has the same emotion because he's, his wife is either leaving him right now. He's, he's got this new kid that he's, that he's calling, you know, there's no more mercy. 
And so in these next chapters, I just want to read a few things so you see God's heart, so you understand what goes on. And um, as, as I do it, I, 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 want, I, I, want, I want to center on three things. Okay, the first thing is I, I want to center on this idea that, that God knows the future. God lives in the future. God's not surprised. God has this absolute understanding of where this is going, and he's going to get it there. That's the first thing, okay? Here's the second thing, though, and it's very hard to live in both of these. When you get into the, the, the uh, free will predestination uh, controversy or, or uh, conundrum or paradox, it's very hard to live in both of those. But God knows exactly where we are going. But somehow, he lives with us right now at this point. And he relates to us where we are. And where we are now affects him. Even though he knows that he has absolute control and he knows where it's going to end up. So what I want you to pay attention to as we look at some of these, uh, these scriptures is, is the way God is, is, is relating on either level. So first, let's talk about, and this is really, I think, it, it's comforting to know that God does work from an eternal perspective. He's not going to get lost in the detail of the moment. He's going to live in the detail of the moment, but he's not going to get lost in it. So let me share, share these verses with you. The first one I'm going to share comes out of Isaiah. Isaiah and Hosea were contemporaries. They were prophesying at the same time. And so this kind of captures the the overall understanding when you get into the prophetic uh, understanding and you're speaking into the moment the backdrop behind you is is complete knowledge of eternity going backwards and going forward but it speaks into the moment and here's what isaiah says 46 9 and 10 remember the former things of old for i am god and there's none else i am god and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Hosea has this in mind in the middle of the story, uh, chapter 2, when he says, I will betroth thee to me forever." Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies. Yeah, all this is going to go on, but I'm marrying you forever. And it's going to be in my judgment and my mercy and in my righteousness. So that's behind this whole story. If, if you knew that you were going to die a happy old man or a happy old woman 
and that you and your spouse were going to sit on the front porch in rocking chairs and you were going to look out and you were going to see the, uh, the beautiful landscape and, and ha- have just absolute perfect peace. And you knew that for a fact. Yet at age 35, your wife cheated on you. Would you say, oh, it's, it's fine. It's, no problem. It's going to be okay. No, it would crush you. And that's the point of sin and righteousness and holiness. It's, it's not, well, we know it's going to turn out okay. It doesn't matter how we live. No, we're in a relationship with God. And it hurts him when we do it. And it brings shame to his name. I love this story. Because, because it has this eternal perspective. I will never leave you or forsake you. But in the moment, I want to tell you how I feel. When Job was dealing with life and, and, and things, he had boils and um, his, his kids were dead, his houses were gone, and his stupid friends were giving him advice. Uh, and he's like, God, this is just not right. This is just not right. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, Job 38, 1 through 4, and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by my words without knowledge? Shut your mouth, boy. Gird up your loins like a man, and I will demand of you, and you answer me, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the world? Hey, listen, something's going on in your life right now. You're judging me by what's going on in your life right now. But let me tell you something. Where were you when I started this whole thing? With a very clear understanding, a telescopic view of where this is all going to end up. With purpose in my heart. And so God comes and he does speak to us with this sense of, listen, I know I know where this is going. And don't interpret your situation in your limited knowledge, but interpret your situation by your knowledge of me. Walk with me. All right. When God made covenant with Abraham, what did he tell him? To all generations. To all generations. When God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush, here's what he said. I am that I am. Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me unto you. In other words, going backwards, look at your history. I'm the God who's been involved in your history. And this is my name forever. And this is my memorial unto all generations. I have been self-sufficient from the beginning. And in the lives of all of the, those that make up your genetic history. And I am who I am for the rest of eternity. 
I am that I am. When you get into the poetry, of course, he told David that, he, that somebody would sit on his throne forever. All of the prophets, we mentioned just uh, a, a couple of verses from Isaiah and uh, Hosea. But when you get to the poetry, it, 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 it includes this idea, uh, Ecclesiastes 3.11. He has made everything beautiful in his time, and he has set the world in their heart, or in another place it says eternity in their heart, in a different version, so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. There is something in your heart that says God knows beginning to end. I know that he knows. I can't get it all figured out. But I know that he knows. Psalm 9, 6 and 8. O thou enemy, destructions are come to a perpetual end, and you have destroyed cities. Their memorial is perished with them, but the Lord shall endure forever. He has prepared his throne for judgment, and he shall judge the world in righteousness, and he shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. So this whole idea of God, God lives out of eternity, past, future. He knows what's going on. And when we get into the middle of situations, we shouldn't interpret it by the situation, but we should live to a God who has all things under control. All right? So God operates with that surety, uh, but he lives with us today and relates to us with an open-endedness that responds to our lives in the moment. He walks with you in an open-endedness that responds to you in the moment. If we're walking in obedience, he treats us a certain way. If we walk in disobedience, he relates to us in a certain way. Romans 8, 28 says that we know all things work together for good to those who love God according to his purpose. All right, so we take that and we apply it in the moment. But the context of that scripture is the eternal purposes of God, which is ultimately going to manifest the sons of God in absolute glory and restore all of humanity and all of creation. We know that every individual thing that's going on is working together for the greater good of where we are headed. So, he says, but I'm going to take this journey with you. Hosea, I'm going to walk in this journey of marriage with you, and I'm going to show you that I am not just this mechanical God that's wound it all up, and I just live in, in absolute control, and I live with you. And I want to be connected with you as we live this out. Um, let, me, let me read Hosea 1, 10 through 11. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, You are not my people... There it shall be said unto them, You are the sons of the living God. Then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together and appoint themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, and great shall be 
the day of Jezreel. And then in verse 15, this is how it's going to happen. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. This is not an omniscient, all-powerful God who moves people around like you're moving people around on a chessboard. But he's in relationship, and he says, I will allure her. I will bring her into the wilderness, and I will speak comfortably to her. I'm going to get you to the place that you finally will listen to me. I'm going to threaten you. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put you in Egypt in bondage for a while. But ultimately, you're going to finally get into the place where you realize you can't trust in horses. You can't trust in chariots. And I know the perfect time to come to you. And I'm going to speak comforting words to you. And I'm going to give your vineyards back to you. And the Valley of Acre, it's going to be a door of hope. And you will sing there as in the days of your youth. I'm going to come and I'm going to sweet talk you in the wilderness because you're ready to, to, to let go of your trust in other things and believe that I do really love you. And it's going to be like the days of your youth, like your first love, like like when, when the emotion of first love erases everything but this sense of, I have somebody who loves me. Just like the day when you came out of Egypt. So he goes back to this illusion. Remember when they came out, I will sing unto the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. Miriam had the tambourine, they were dancing. Wow, God has set us Free. Baby doll, I'm going to get you there. No matter what you go through, no matter, no matter how far you get away from me, I'm working a plan. I'm working a plan. All right, so let's look at some of the ways that God feels. All right? Um, what time is it? I'm not even paying attention to the time. Somebody say it real loud. Are you kidding? I'm going to go through these real quick. Hosea 4.3. I want you to listen to God's heart. Listen to God's heart as he walks through this process, which is the life of Israel, which is the life of Hosea, which is our life. Therefore shall the land mourn, and everyone that dwells therein shall languish. With the beasts of the field and with the fowls of heaven, yea, the fishes of the sea shall be taken away. He knows where they're going. But in this moment, he's saying, judgment's going to come. I'm going to put them in the place where they get hungry. 4.6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. You've rejected knowing me. I will also reject you, that you shall be no priest to me, seeing that you have forgotten the law of your God. I will also forget your children. Now, let this blow your mind. This is the God that knows where it's going. He knows that ultimately he is going to get them to the place that he woos them back. But in the moment, he says, look, you're not my people. 
this sounds very much like relationship rather than legal uh, economic exchanges. Hosea 5.4, their deeds do not permit them to return to their God, for the spirit of whoredom is within them, and they know not the Lord. Five fourteen, For I will be like a lion to Ephraim, and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will carry you off, and no one shall rescue. I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face, and in their distress, earnestly seek me. I'm going to come in, and I'm going to tear them up, and I'm going to leave. Until in their distress they realize, oh, I need him. And then they seek me. This happens in Babylon uh, for Judah. Hosea 6, 1 through 3. And so in the midst of all of this, this might be along about maybe year 30, you know, and, and it's going back and forth. And Hosea prophetically cries out, come. Let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us so that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will relieve us, revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Of course, I, I, I'm sure some of you get the, the, the shadow there, that on the third day, Christ is raised from the dead. And, uh, and the ultimate love is expressed. But let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. God, in response, says, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. I don't want you coming to church. I want you to love me. The knowledge of God. I want you to be intimate, relate, intimately related to me rather than burnt offerings. Ephraim is like a dove, Hosea 7, 11, and 12. Silly and without sense. Calling to Egypt. You're putting your trust in the government. You're putting your trust somewhere else. As they go, as they do that, I will spread over them my net. I will bring them down like birds of the heavens. And I will discipline them according to the report made to their congregation. Listen, you start putting your trust in anything other than God, and he's going to put a net over you and pull you down. Why? Because he knows where he's going, and he can't let you get so far out there with your heart. They sow to the wind, and they reap the whirlwind, 8-7. They... The standing grain has no heads, it shall yield no flower. If it were to yield, strangers would devour it. I could read a few more of these, but I'm not going to. What I want you to see is that, that there is this back and forth in these prophecies over the 60 years. I am going to be like a lion and tear you up. Oh, seek the Lord. I, I, you know, I want to draw you to myself with tender mercies. And then... We're just going to close by reading chapter 11, which it's not the last chapter, but, but in chapter 11, we, we find both of these things going on. 
God seeing where it's going to end up, but at the same time grappling with the moment. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Exodus. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols at Mount Sinai. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. From the very beginning, I am the one who taught you how to walk. How many of you have ever been around when one of these babies are learning to walk? Everybody is hoping that the first steps come to them. My grandchildren get over there before they can walk, you know, they stand there and wobble, and I, I'm, come on, come on, come on. Brenda Butson says, no, no, come on, come on, come on. And I'm like, come on, come on. God says, I'm the one. I was there. I'm the father who took great joy in seeing you take those first steps. Knowing that you're going to grow up and be a rebellious teenager. I took you up by their arms. Teaching you to walk. But they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness. With bands of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. And I bent down to them. And I fed them in all of their difficulty. They didn't know it, but I was making it easier. Have you ever done chores with a kid? When all of my grandkids come over, they get all of the toys out. But they always pick up every single one before they leave. That's what they would tell you. Before they leave, they're all picked up. And they've picked up a few. But mom and dad <laughs> are doing the lion's share of the work. Happily and joyfully. They shall not return to the land of Egypt. But Assyria shall be their king because they have refused to return to me. They become teenagers. I'm letting them go out on their prodigal years. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me, and though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zebulim? My heart, my heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. In those moments when the battle's going on and God's having to, to, to exert himself in such a way that it confines you or it, it pulls you back, oh, but I can't reject you. My heart recoils within me. I grow warm and tender in the midst of your rebellion while I'm correcting you. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man, 
the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. They shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. And when he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt. Now here, the lion that ate him before is now roaring. And then they come. They come back. And like doves from the land of Assyria, and I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. Ephraim has surrounded me with lies and the house of Israel with deceit. But Judah still walks with God and is faithful to the Holy One. It's a mess right now. It's a mess right now. But I'm going to get us through it because I know where we're going. And I will betroth you to me forever in righteousness and justice and steadfast love. So let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His coming forth is as certain as the dawn. And he's like the spring rain that waters the earth that brings us to fruitfulness. Hallelujah. That's Hosea. That's Hosea. All right. Um, yeah. Let's stand. It's 813. I'm sorry I went so long. It was that context, I think, that got us. But don't we serve a wonderful God? A God who is very much affected by who we are emotionally toward us. But who is a good father who knows the beginning from the end, and he will get us there. Hallelujah. Now, I don't know if anybody here is in a place <laughs> uh, where, where life is training you in a way that you, you don't like. If you're walking in disobedience, you need to understand that, yeah, maybe God's angry, but he's also hurt. His anger does not come out of his hurt. And you also maybe ought to realize that it brings dishonor to God. But behind it all, you need to know that he's full of compassion in the midst of it. And he sees you for who you are, where you are. And he's living with you as, as the one who's gone before and the one who's going to get you where you need to be. So uh, let's go ahead and uh, close with a song. Does anybody have anything on your heart you want to share? If you do, come on up while we sing this song, and we'll let you share it before we leave. So, What, what good song do we have, guys? Heavens. Oh, yeah.